2 Samuel. And I, I really want to encourage you to, to not take my cliff notes, but to read these books. There is a lot in there, even as I went through these stories uh, just recently. I, I, there was more layers and things that I was like, wow, I, didn't, I never saw that before. And so what we're talking about is three kings uh, that lived about 3,000 years ago. And one of them was Saul, his kingdom lasted about 40 years. One of them was Absalom, his kingdom lasted like 40 days. And then in between them and during them was this guy by the name of D David, whose kingdom has lasted forever. And essentially that's because God chose him to be the great, 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 whatever of, of Jesus. And his kingdom was to last forever because God said he was a man after his own heart. And so David was not just one of the greatest kings in Jewish history. He's actually one of the greatest kings and one of the greatest human beings in all of human history. We still sing his psalms and poems, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie. That's David. We, we still know about the, maybe the most famous battle in all of human history, David against, who's the big guy? Goliath, right? And, and so what, a, what an enormous legacy that David has left. And, and his greatness, as I look at the life of David, really comes down to two character qualities, other things as well, but these two character qualities that he had, he had so much of them that I think even all of us, well, most of us, or at least myself, even though I, I, I read the Bible, I love the Lord, but I look at these two character qualities and how much of it David has, and I think, that's wrong. Like, he has so much of that, it's crazy. Like, I don't even think it's the right thing, but I, I know it is the right thing, and, and, and it helps inform me how, you know, we have this saying, all things in moderation, there are some things we should not have in moderation. You should not follow God in moderation. And you should not have these character qualities in moderation because David had them like in, in dump loads full of... And, and so we're going to start with this story about David, and I'll fill it in as we go. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord answered him, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, here in Judah we're afraid. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? Right in the middle of an enormous story, it would take hours to read David's entire story. And so I'm just going to try to summarize some of it. David fought Goliath, right? Won that victory, became a general under Saul, was his most famous um, successful general, a lot of military campaigns against the Philistines that, that were successful. However, the, David was so successful that the people came up with a little song. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands, right? And, and so Saul heard that and Pastor Josh talked about this last week. He got jealous and jealousy can turn even those who are for you against you. It's all about what I don't have and what I want and what somebody else has instead of being thankful and grateful for what God has given us. And so he was jealous of David. And so he tried to set him up to die and, and he didn't die. And, and he tried conniving and all of this. And at every step he realized, okay, now my firstborn son who's heir to the throne is best friends with David. And now my daughter is married to David because I thought that was a trap that would kill him, but it didn't work out. 
out, and now he's, now he's, he's my son-in-law. And, and, and then eventually Saul just said, I'm, I'm not being subtle. I'm not going to try to maneuver behind the scenes to get David dead. I'm just going to kill him directly. And David heard of this, sensed this, maybe because Saul threw a spear at him, um, you know, kind of realized something was up, and he fled for his life, ran away. And uh, as he ran away, he was hiding in caves. He was in the desert in Judah, which is in the southern part of Israel. That was like his home ground, you know, where he would have relatives and friends that would help hide him and maybe provide for him. And so as he's hiding in caves and out in the desert, men that were discontent, maybe men that owed money, maybe men that had a past and they started to gather and they were attracted to David, David's courage, David's reputation, David's righteousness. And, and so these men start gathering around David and that's where we pick up the story here today. And, and they see nearby in a town is being raided by the Philistines. So Keilah was time for harvesting their crops. The Philistines were this incredibly powerful force militarily, economically, technologically, much more sophisticated than the Israelites. And they said, hey, let's get some free stuff. Let's go over to the Israelites and take everything that they're harvesting. And if anybody gets in our way, we'll just kill them. And so that's what they were doing. This meant famine. This meant death for that town. And so David says, this is wrong. Let's go rescue them. And his men are saying, what? We are the most wanted men in the nation. If we go and rescue Keilah, first of all, we're going to have more enemies because then the Philistines will want us dead as well as our own people. Like, and, and there was Israel, and then there was, there was the Philistines, and then there was the Mediterranean, and then there was desert on the other side. I mean, so, so if the Philistines hate you, and then you, you have the desert on the other side, and the Israelites want you dead, like, where are you going to run? And this, this is not a good idea, David. And so, so that, that's why they're so surprised here. So once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, go down to Keilah, for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hands. And so David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, carried off their livestock, inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines, and saved the people of Keilah. And now here's the verse I wanted to get to. This one's very important because it makes no sense. So now Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Keilah. Now that makes everything come together. And you might think, why is that verse in there? Like, like why, what does that have to do with fighting Keilah or, or what, what's going on? And, and to know what's going on here, you really have to know some of the rest of the Bible um, the Bible they had in David's day was five to ten books long, right? It was just the very beginning of the Old Testament. And how much of that was available to someone like David, we don't know. But we definitely know they had what's called the law. The Bible is not a book. The Bible is a library. This explains how it's set up. It's not set up chronologically or topically. It's set up by type of book, so the first five books of the Bible used to be one book, and it's the legal section. And so they had that. And in the legal section of the Bible, Exodus 28.30, Leviticus 8.8, 8, and Deuteronomy 33.8, it talks about how to make difficult choices back then. 
And if, if you were a national figure and you were wondering what the right choice would be, you would get the high priest who was wearing the ephod. Now, what is the ephod? This is the ephod. It's this little apron. It's not manly to say apron. Breastplate, it's called sometimes. It has the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And it has this side pouch right here that, that has the urim and the thummim. Okay, and the Urim and the Thummim are these things, two identically sized rocks that you would put in this pouch in the ephod. And, and they determined the, the white one is the Thummim, and Thummim literally means blessed, right? Uh, or, or yes. Um, and, and then the black one literally means cursed or no. Okay, so, so what, what many times in the Bible, and we'll see this here with David, we'll, you see it later in Ezra 2.63 and Nehemiah 7.65, many times in the Bible, when there is a yes or no question asked of God, this is what's going on. You go to the high priest, he has the ephod, he has two rocks inside this pouch in the ephod, and you say, should, should I attack Keilah? Well, let me see. White stone, yep. You know, uh, well, uh, are you sure we should attack Kila? Okay. <laughs> Whitestone, yep. <laughs> so th this is important to explain because if, if God spoke to David, go and attack Kila, the Philistines at Kila, and I will give them into your hands. If I heard an audible voice, it's really easy to trust and obey God, right? But, but if I'm attacking the Philistines, putting my own life at risk and the lives of these men around me who have families and, and people who depend on them, and I'm doing it based upon whether someone pulls a 50% chance white or black stone out of a pouch? Like, that's crazy! You know, and, and this was a, an ancient relic. It was 400 years old by this point. It has since been lost in history. And even if it wasn't, this is not how God wants us to make decisions today. Just so you know, okay, don't get two identical sized stones and be like, do I quit my job or not? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll quit my job. You know, but this is, this is how he said to do it. And so what the bottom line of all of this is David trusted God's word. And he believed it. He believed it and trusted it so much, he put his own life at risk. Do you trust God's word? If God tells you to do something, are you willing to do it no matter what? But, but if I tell the truth, like she doesn't even know half of it, if I tell her the whole truth, I, I have, it's just going to destroy everything. Do you trust God? and trust his word to do what he wants, even when it sounds crazy. But, but if I were to help that individual financially who's in need with what God's given me, then I won't have anything, and then maybe when I have a need, I will be destitute, and I'll have to go begging, or I, I won't be able to, like, like ah, I don't know if I should do this. I'm, I'm scared to obey God. And that, that brings us to what David, two, two qualities that David had, in, in huge amounts, so much so that he, he seems crazy. And number one, he has crazy courage. 
But his courage doesn't come out of a hot-headed young man. When he flees from Saul, he's 20 years old. So now he's 20, 21, maybe 22. I mean, he's a young guy, and so you think, oh, he's just a hothead. He's just spoiling for a fight. But that's not true because God tells him to attack, he attacks. When God says run, he runs. And, and we'll see that a little bit later in the story. What is, what is common throughout this is David has the courage to trust God, and so should we. You know, what, what is it that God would want you to do if, if, you could, you know, if you had nothing to fear? If you didn't fear anything, what, what would you think God would want you to do? So where did David get this crazy courage that he has? And I think David got that courage in the fires of crisis. If you think about what we know about David at this point, we know that when he was a teenager, he fought a lion watching the sheep. So he's out watching the sheep. He's all alone. Maybe his, his older, one of his older brothers helped him at the beginning, showed him the ropes, you know, trained him to be the shepherd, and then he's on his own because the older son, he's a little bit stronger. He has other things more important to do. Um, and David's the youngest, not, not as physically capable yet because he's just a teenager. And so he's watching the sheep. And then a lot, we, we don't know how David kills the lion. So I'm going to make up everything else. I'm going to tell you, okay? But I just imagine, what would that be like? Maybe the lion came. Lions generally hunt at night. A lot of times they hunt at night. So maybe one night he hears the roar of the lion. And he's like, oh, no. And, and then all of a sudden... <laughs> you know, there's a sheep and, and the lion gets one of the sheep and he sees it drag it off into the brush and um, doesn't do anything. The next day, he's like, he couldn't sleep all night, right? And, and the next day, he's just beside himself. He's crying out to God, God, what am I gonna do? I'm too far from home. Like I'm, I'm maybe a day or two's journey away from home. If I go home, that lion will certainly like just take, and even if the lion doesn't, the sheep will scatter, will lose everything. This is our livelihood. This is our food. Like I can't run home. Like, and, and nobody's here to help me. God, I need your help. There's no one I can depend on but you. And he's pretty good with the sling and the stone, but he's thinking human skulls, a stone would crack. A lion skull? I'm not sure it can do enough damage to even slow it down. And, and so he's like, oh, maybe he gets a stick out and he sharpens the blade of that stick with his little flint knife that he has. And he's like, man, if I shove that in the ground, maybe if it charged me, it can impale itself. And, and, and all day he's praying. And so then the next night, and sure enough, the lion comes and maybe attacks one of the sheep. And then he's like, yeah, over here, you puss, you know, feline, and the thing comes at him. Have you ever seen how fast cats move? It is, it is literally inhuman. <laughs> like, they are so fast, and this thing springs at him with speed that maybe even surprised him, and barely, maybe he gets that stick up and stabs it in the ground, and then he realizes, stink, you know, the, the lion, it impales the lion, but the lion keeps coming, and maybe, maybe scratches him across his chest. Maybe he's bleeding out and he's got, got his clothes and he's wrapping them as tight as he can. And, and, and he defeats the lion though. And then a couple months later go by and maybe he's fully recovered. Maybe he's not fully recovered from the lion. Maybe it didn't hurt him at all. I don't, I don't know. But then, and then there's a bear coming after the sheep. 
And of the two, I've watched bear versus lion videos on YouTube. <laughs> watched tiger versus lion. Tigers are a little bit bigger. Um, lions are quicker. Bears are tougher. A lion by itself, no way it could kill a bear. The bear is just invulnerable. The lion would have to eventually run away or give up. You know, it's got that thick fat and the skin and the fur and it's like armor on it and, and it's so much stronger. And, and if you're David at that point, what are you thinking? God, do you, are you trying to kill me? Like, do you have some kind of death wish out for me? A lion and now a bear? Are you picking on me, God? Maybe you feel that way today. And in your life, you, you have these financial problems, and, and then you have physical problems. And then a good friend of yours or a family member dies. And then your kid, and you're like, God, what are you picking on me? Why me? Why a lion and a bear and then a giant? And here's the thing. Maybe God isn't picking on you. Maybe he's picked you just like he picked David. Because God says, you know what? I have this great plan. I, have, I want David to accomplish so much, and, and yet I have to prepare him for that. And I prepare him by a lion and then a bear and then a giant and then a homicidal maniac king trying to hunt him down. And then, and then he's got to pretend that he's crazy in the court of the Philistines so that he doesn't get killed there. And then over and over again, as you watch David live, I mean, he has at least 10 plus years, 15 years of terrible situations and circumstances that are forging him to become a man after God's own heart. And, and to become one of the greatest figures in human history. And maybe God is doing that in your life as well. And you might not be as famous as King David, but who knows what he will accomplish through you if you trust him enough to be courageous and do what God wants you to do, even if nobody else is doing it, even if you're the only one, even if it looks crazy. Him attacking Keilah looked crazy to him and his men, but that's what they did. And they inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of the Philistines what, from the Philistines. What would you do for God if you had absolutely no fear? Would you go home at lunch or dinner today and say, okay, family, after we eat, we're not going to get up from the table. We're going to read from God's word and we're going to pray. Is that what you do? If you had no fear, would you, would you go at work and, and maybe invite some people to church if you had no fear? Would you stand up to a bully at school or maybe stand up to a bully at work if you had no fear? What does God want you to do? How could you obey God? What would you do if you had no fear? Fear is not the absence. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing what's right, even when you're scared. The kids actually over in our kids' ministry, they're talking about courage all this month. That's the virtue of the month that they're focusing on and different stories about that. And here's the bottom line for today. You can do what you should because God is with you. You can do what you should because God is with you. That's a good lesson for us. 
David's courage didn't come out of youthful ignorance. It didn't come out of a trust. See, when you're courageous, you're trusting in someone or something. And if you're trusting in your own strength, there is a point where that courage will fail you. David wasn't trusting in his courage. He certainly wasn't trusting in a white rock pulled out of some dude's pouch. David was trusting in God. Here's two things you have to believe about God in order to trust him. You have to believe that he is totally capable of winning and doing what you ask him to do. If you believe in an all-powerful God, then you can trust him if he is also a second thing, and that is he is totally good. If God is not totally good, then you can't trust him, and you have no reason, reason to be courageous to do the right thing. If God is not totally powerful, you know, if he's a little distracted, he has other things going on, he's not really aware of everything going on, you know, then, then you can't trust him. But if you believe he's, he's powerful, he knows what's going on, and he's totally 100% good, then you can have courage that is bottomless. And if you don't have bottomless courage, it means you doubt one of those two things about God. You either doubt that he loves you and is good, or you doubt that he knows what's going on or is powerful enough to do anything about it. And, and our own actions sometimes tell us what we really believe more than what we say we believe, even what we say to ourselves what we believe. If, if there is something that you are too scared to do for God and you know it's what God wants you to do, Maybe God wants you to break up from that relationship, but you're scared because then you'll be alone and lonely and you're not sure you can handle it. If that's what God wants you to do, maybe God wants you to stay together. And, and if that's what God wants you to do, we need to have the courage to do it. Um, the story goes on. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod. Why? Why is he bringing the ephod? He's got a yes or no question for God. David said, Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens... This is why David's men didn't want to fight the Philistines in the first place. Because if we fight the Philistines, word will spread. David and his men fought the Philistines and they won. And then everyone in the kingdom, including Saul, who wants us dead, will come here and look for you. And that's exactly what happened. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, white stone. <laughs> yeah, that's what's going to happen. And again, David asked, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? We just saved their lives. Will they turn on us? And God said, yeah, yeah, they will. And so David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah, kept moving from place to place, back to the caves, back to the desert. And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. And so this story, incredible courage. And, and what happened because David did the right thing? Did things get better? Nope, not at all. You see, we don't do the right thing because life is easier. We do the right thing because we trust God and because it's the right thing. Um, story goes on in another chapter, a couple verses later. This could be another year later. We don't know how long, a couple years. 
After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. That's a very colorful name for a place. He came to the sheep pens along the way and a cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself, something they never do in movies really. Action movies, they never use the bathroom. David and his men were far back in the cave and the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with him as you wish. And then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. So he pranked him. He could have, I would have said if I was with him then, he should have killed him, but instead he pranked him. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointing. Then he gets, he thinks he shouldn't have even done that. The Lord's anointed or lay my hand on him for he's the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. So trust in God, this is the other thing. And this is even more than the crazy courage that David had. I understand a little bit of the crazy courage, but at this point, I think, are you kidding me? This is a God thing. You know, sometimes God puts situations in your life and you think, wow, he has handed me this on a platter. Surely this is what God wants me to do. And it's exactly not what God wants you to do. God almost literally put Saul's head on a platter for David. But he did not want him to kill him. And and. David has this incredible mercy. What is mercy? It's not the same thing as grace. Grace is giving something to someone they don't deserve. Mercy is withholding punishment they do deserve. Did Saul deserve to be killed by David? Absolutely. Let me tell you a little bit of their history. When David fled from Saul at 20 years of age, one of the first places he stopped was a little village called Nob. Nob just sounds like a little village. And it was a village of priests. There were 85 adult priests there and then their wives and children and so a town of, of hundreds of people. And David gets there all by himself. Again, he's known as one of the greatest heroes in Israel. He's a general. He's a son-in-law to the king. Uh, no one would suspect that, that the king didn't like him. And he gets there, but it says the, the priests of Nob, they were suspicious. They were afraid. What are you doing here? all alone. And David said, well, I'm on a mission from the king, but it was so urgent. I didn't have time to get any weapons, and I didn't have time to get enough supplies. And so, do you have food? Yes, we have, we have bread, and they gave him bread. And he says, do you have any weapons? They said, we only have one weapon. It's the sword of Goliath. And David's like, there is none like that. I mean, this is an iron sword. This is cutting-edge technology of the day. This is, this is the best weapon probably in the entire nation. Give it to me. And, of course, they gave it to him. Who, who else should have Goliath's sword but David? And so then David leaves and is on his way. Well, Saul is tracking him down, and his trackers come to the village of Nob. And they say, well, David, was David here? Yes, he was here. And what, did you help him? Well, sure. We gave him bread and the sword of Goliath. You helped my enemy? How did we know he was your enemy? He's your best general. He married your daughter. We didn't know anything about this falling out. Like, we were suspicious, but I mean, what are we going to do? And Saul didn't believe them. 
And so Saul says, kill them all. And he killed 85 priests. Only one escapes. It's Abiathar who comes with the ephod to David and tells him, they're all dead. My brothers, my dad, my cousins, the, the wives, the kids, my nieces and nephews, hundreds of people slaughtered by Saul. And now he's in a cave with his pants down. And David has a sword right there. What would you do? David's killed many times before. There's no way he was scared to kill. He's a killer. But he has mercy. Why? Because David wasn't put in a position of authority over Saul. Saul is still the king. David is not. And the authorities in our lives are put there by God, even when they're wicked. Remember what Jesus said when he held up the silver coin days before he was crucified? He says, yeah, should you pay taxes? Whose face is on this? It's Caesar's face. Give taxes, give, give to Caesar what Caesar demands. You need to pay taxes to a government that's going to crucify me in a couple days. Talk about an evil government. You know, our government isn't exactly a paragon of virtue, right? But you know what? We need to submit to those in authority, even if they're corrupt. A judge can put someone in jail. A police officer can make an arrest, right? A jury can pronounce a verdict. But if you are not in a position of authority, you need to submit to the authorities over you. If you're a kid here today and a teacher tells you to do something, as long as it's not sinful, you might think it's stupid, but you need to do it because they're an authority. If your coach tells you, you know what, you're the goalie. I want you to come out of the goal and play on the front line and leave the goal wide open. And you're like, what? That's stupid. You don't say it's stupid. You obey the authority because there's no command in God's word that says goalies have to stay in the goalie box, right? So, so whatever it is in our lives, and this is David. So when is it right to take revenge? Really, never. This is why even if a judge, if a judge is, is deciding a case and it's something personal, he recuses himself, right? And he passes that authority to someone else who can maybe make a more clear-headed decision. But we do not grab authority. We do not decide, you know, the government didn't do it the right way. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna attack the government. We're going to do, that. that is not God's way. And, and David here, he shows incredible mercy to a very evil man. This was a shortcut to power. This was a shortcut. You, you know what? So many evil things have been done in this world for the greater good. For the greater good, all I have to do is kill one man. For the greater good, I'm just going to lie. For the greater good, I'm going I'm to do this or that. He chose mercy over judgment. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my lord the king, and when Saul looked... Behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with the face to the ground. And he said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hands on the Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. And then, listen, listen to this. First of all, he prostrates himself to the ground. 
in, in, a, in a display of, of so much total respect. And then now he says, see my father, another term of respect. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should never say, let's go Brandon. We need to respect those that God has put in authority over us and talk about them respectfully as David does here. You know, and this is true of Trump. I mean, there are, 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 are Society just calls our leaders awful things, and some of them are deserved. But, you know, we, we need to, just like David, we need to respect the authority that they're put in, even if they're not worthy of that respect, because you cannot separate the person from their office. And so to be respectful. Um, see my father? Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but didn't kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you. I would have said, but you've wronged me, you dirty little. No, that's not what he says. He's very respectful. But you're hunting me down to take my life. And, and listen to this next part. This is how David can show mercy. He can show mercy to Saul because he believes that the Lord is the judge. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you've done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? You're hunting a coyote? Is that a dead coyote? A flea on the coyote? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And so the, we can show mercy to others and we live in a society that is increasingly judgmental and increasingly angry. The emotion of judgmentalness is anger. And our society says, I have to make them pay. Someone says something online, I have to say something to make them look like a fool or, or vent my anger to them. And, and in person as well, I have to, to, to just, you know, I... I was in a parking lot in Lowe's. I am not a good driver. I've mentioned this. Um, I was doing something my wife doesn't like me to do. You know how you cut through a parking lot? So I was cutting through a parking lot. Shouldn't have done that. And there's this truck coming, and I didn't see it. And then I, I slammed on my brakes, you know, and the, the truck went by or whatever. Or he slammed on his brakes, I think. And then I slammed on mine, and then I went by because I was halfway out already. And, and he, his windows were rolled up because it's cold but I think he had some words for me. So then I parked, and then I went into Lowe's, and I'm waiting, you know, to, to return something. He comes in, and he has a few more words with me. <laughs> and I said, you're right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that was, that was wrong. But you know what? Depending on who I was, that could have erupted, right? And uh, he was actually older than me. I think I could have taken him. <laughs> you know? Our society is like that. Why? Because there is no judge other than me. I can't trust God with him and with his anger. I have to take matters into my own hands. And this is, this is where David's extreme mercy is, is something we all need to learn. And so the closing question I want to ask you about is, who is the last person you want to show mercy to? And honestly, I... I don't have anyone who has wronged me in the way that some of you have been wronged. 
Some of you have had people, family members. Some of you have people who are literally in jail right now because of what they did to you, or they should be. And, and there is this unforgiveness in this man. If I could make them pay, if I was alone in a cave with them and I had a sword and everybody was telling me, like, yeah, do it and you could get away with it and, and you need to forgive and let God be the judge because he will. You know what happens to Saul? He's wounded in battle and as he's bleeding out, he falls on his own sword and commits suicide. I guarantee you he suffered longer that way than the way David would have had if he had killed him. You can trust God with the wicked people on earth, whether they're politicians that you'll never meet or whether they're your next-door neighbor or a family member that has wronged you. Two things David had in, in crazy amounts, courage and mercy, and I think the courage helped him be merciful. He had the courage to say, man, if I don't do this right now, I may be looking ahead to another eight years of of terrible, miserable living, but I have the courage to do whatever it takes to obey God, even if it means being merciful to this man. Um, Mercy and courage. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you'd help us not to have these two qualities in moderation. But God, that we would have, be a man after, to be women after your own heart. To be merciful, so merciful that people think, boy, that's crazy. And to be courageous. God, I see both of these qualities disappearing in our country today. Disappearing in our community. Help us to to be different, to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna close in just a perfect song. His mercy is more. So if you're here and you're like, I just don't know if I can really show mercy, you need to understand that God has shown mercy to you and that's, that's the example that helps us give that mercy to others. Let's stand together as we sing.